What would it take to make you happy? When 52,000 Americans were asked that question, the answers were very predictable. They said things like money, friends, being in love, successful, having the house of my dreams, beauty, being married, having children. There's a rough looking guy on the corner of a street in a large metropolitan area, and as people would go by, he would shout out, I'd be happy if I had $100. He continued to do that until finally someone actually stopped and gave him $100. Of course, he was dumbfounded as he stood there looking at this money. And as they walked off, this man could be overheard saying, I wish I'd asked for $200. (laughs) What is it that makes us happy? We think the path to happiness is having the right circumstances. Jesus came along and said something radically different. He said the path to happiness is having the right attitude. And he made that really, really clear. He, he said, you know, what's happening around you is not near as important as what is happening inside of you. So today, we are going to look at the secret to happiness. Now, let me warn you right from the beginning. It's not what you think. It's radically different than what you would think. It's upside down living, in other words. We're going to jump into the first sermon ever recorded of Jesus. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded in Matthew 5 through 7. Think about this. This is Jesus' first sermon. He goes public with his ministry. What is he going to say? Not only in that sermon, but what is the introduction to his sermon going to be about? Well, he starts out by giving eight characteristics. We call them beatitudes. And the word beatitude is just a Latin word that means be blessed or be happy. In fact, this was originally written in Greek, and if you look at the Greek word for blessed, it's actually the exact same word as happy. But the things that Jesus tells us will make us happy or make us blessed. You know, God blesses those who are so different than what we would think. So, for example, Jesus says, God blesses those who mourn. God blesses those who are poor. God blesses those who are hungry. Not the eight characteristics we would normally associate with being blessed, are they? But when you start to dig a little deeper and look at the depth of what Jesus was saying, you begin to get it. It begins to make sense to you. So let me give you a bottom line right as we start this morning, and it is this. My happiness is not determined by what's happening around me, but by what is happening in me. Happiness is a choice. We choose our attitude. And Jesus is going to show us how that happens, how that can be. Now, last week, we started talking about the Beatitudes, or these eight characteristics, and we looked at the first two. 
Today we're going to move on and look at Beatitudes 3 to 8. So let's jump in. Um, here's the third one. Here's the third characteristic. It's Matthew 5, 5. Here's what Jesus said. God blesses those, or people are happy, who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Now, humility is an interesting concept. Like one person said, about the time you think you have it, you don't. <laughs> and there are many misconceptions about what it means to be humble. In fact, if you read some other versions of the Bible, sometimes it says things like, um, blessed are the gentle, or blessed are the meek. And oftentimes when we think meek, we think weak, and that's not the case at all. In fact, the opposite is true for humility. As I mentioned, this was originally written in Greek, and the Greek word for humble was a word that was used to refer to horses that had been broken by a trainer. In other words, they had not lost any of their strength or power, but now it was under control and could be useful. And what a great way to see humility. What a great definition of humility. You know, a motorcycle gang stopped at a corner cafe in a small town for supper. And a truck driver was already there in the diner. He was at the counter and he was eating. And he tended to glance at the gang as they walked in. And apparently one of the motorcycle gang members didn't like the way the truck driver had looked at him. So he walked over, he picked up the truck driver's plate and he dumped it right on top of his head. Then he took the guy's drink and he just slowly poured it right in this truck driver's lap. The truck driver didn't say a word. No reaction. Finally, he just got up, he paid his bill, and he walked out. So the gang member turned to the waiter and said, not much of a man, was he? And the waiter replied, not much of a truck driver either. He just ran over 12 motorcycles outside. <laughs> Now, I think that may actually give us new meaning to passive-aggressive, right? And you can decide if that's strength under control or not. But another misconception of humility is that humility is thinking less of yourself. Quite the opposite. It has nothing to do with a poor self-image. Some of the most humble people are those who have the healthiest understanding of who they are. You know, like one pastor has said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. True humility is understanding who you are in God's eyes and your value to Him, which then leads to a healthy view of yourself. Now, the Jewish people at the time that Jesus was on earth were under Roman control, and they hated it. They longed for the day when the Messiah would come and deliver them. However, in their mind, that meant by force, power, strength, exerting your will over your enemy. And if you ask the average Jewish person the top ten factors that it would take for them to inherit the earth, humility did not make that list. So what Jesus is talking about here is radical stuff. It's a whole, way new, it's a whole new way of thinking. It's a whole new way of acting. So let me get practical for us. What does humility look like in our lives? What does humility look like as we live out our day from day to day? I want to give you five characteristics which hopefully will help you understand this a little bit better. And I won't take time to read the Bible references associated with each of them. You can look them up on your own if you want. 
But let's talk about what humility looks like in our lives, practically. Here we go. The first characteristic is this. When someone frustrates you, humility is understanding, not demanding. How do you treat other people? Your spouse? People at work? Other drivers? Even people who serve us, like waitresses or waiters? clerks. Several years ago, I was checking out at a Walmart, and this was before they had self-serve lines, and I had two items. So, of course, I looked for the express lane, which was very clearly marked where everybody could see it, 10 items or less. Sure enough, I got in a line. I was in a little bit of a hurry, and the lady in front of me had a cart full, not 10 items, not 15 items. I quit counting at 20, and yes, I was counting. <laughs> and here's what I was thinking. This is totally inconsiderate. And in my mind, I began to fantasize about what I would like to say to her. And I also then thought, now wait a minute. It's not my job to say something to her. It's the clerk's job. The clerk should say something. She's the one who should enforce the rule at Walmart, right? In fact, she should make her go to the end of the longest line. Anyway, I'm not sure why I did this, but I held my tongue. I didn't say anything. But I was still thinking thoughts like, you know, why would Walmart tolerate such thoughtfulness and behavior? I kind of wanted to make a scene. I didn't. Sure enough, I checked out, grabbed my bag with two items in it, and I turned to walk off, and I heard behind me the words, Hi, Jerry! And I turned around, and it was someone from our church. <laughs> unbeknownst to me, had been standing behind me the whole time. You know, whew, dodged one there, huh? <laughs> well, not in my heart, but uh, why is it that sometimes I can be so demanding? Why is it that I act that way? Because when I am thinking that way, I am focused on one person, me. How dare someone make me wait? How dare someone inconvenience me? You know, humility does not demand its rights. Now, I know, this is radical stuff. But this is what Jesus taught. Second description is this. When someone disappoints you, humility is gentle, not judgmental. Humility is able to respond with gentleness even when people disappoint us. You're blessed if you can accept people even when they don't measure up to your standards. A third characteristic of humility is this. When someone disagrees with you, humility is respectful, not distasteful. A great test of humility is how we handle people who disagree with us or contradict us or annoy us. You can attack or you can respond in love. Remember, Humility is strength under control. Here's a fourth one. When someone corrects you, humility is teachable, not unreachable. Humble people listen and learn. They take feedback well and change. Finally, when someone hurts you, humility is tactful, not reactful. And I honestly don't even know if reactful's a word, but it rhymes, so I made it to be one. 
But you know what I mean by that, right? A fact of life is you will be hurt. You will be hurt by other people. It's instinctive to react. Humility goes a step further and says, even when I react the wrong way to people, if I need to, I'll go back and make that right. I'll apologize. So there you have it. None of these five things come naturally, do they? And very little of this goes on in our culture. It's so radical, but Jesus taught it. And it makes relationships so much better when we do it. I love the quote from Viktor Frankl. He's a man who went through unspeakable suffering at Auschwitz, a German concentration camp. And here's what he said. They took my clothes. They took my wife. They took my kids. They took my wedding ring. I stood naked before the SS and realized that they can take everything in my life, but they cannot control my freedom to choose how I will respond to them. We all have the freedom to choose how we will respond. Will we respond in humility, especially in those situations where someone hurts me or angers me? Now, I spent more time on this characteristic, humility, than I'm going to on some of the others because I really think this one lays the foundation for the rest of what we're going to talk about this morning. And it lays a foundation for us handling our relationships in a way that would be consistent with the way a follower of Jesus would handle them. But So we're going to move a little quicker as we go through the rest of these, what we call Beatitudes. Okay, here's the next one. This is um, in verse 6. It's those who hunger and thirst for justice. It says this, Matthew 5, 6. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Now, when Jesus said this, was he referring to those who long for justice on the earth or for those who long for justice in their relationship with God. And while I think it's the right thing to long for justice on this earth and even work for it, more than likely this refers to those who are hungry for a right relationship with God. Because the promise is they will be satisfied, or in the way, another way to word it is they will be filled, like you feel after you've had a good meal. We all know that if we're looking for justice on this earth, we're not going to be satisfied until Jesus comes back, right? But we can find satisfaction in our relationship with God right now. Have you ever had hunger pangs for being right with God? How can this happen? Well, first, there's that initial step of understanding that our sin is what keeps us from God. There's nothing we can do about that. And so the way to be made right with God is through what Jesus has done for us. Let me call like a two-minute timeout here, okay? And just talk a little doctrine or a little theology this morning. And I think this is important for us to get. In every religion of the world, the way someone achieves a passing grade with their deity is through earning a right standing. Maybe they have to meet a standard, do certain things, accumulate good works, do something so that they will be viewed righteous in front of that deity. That's not so with Christianity. At the heart of Christianity is a concept that is called imputed righteousness. It's just a kind of a big theological term, and what it means essentially is a righteousness transfer. Righteousness is transferred from Jesus to us. Now, we know how this works in the financial world because we make transfers all the time from one account to another. If you get paid at work, 
your paycheck comes by an automatic deposit into your account, then that's imputed money. Money is transferred to your account. By the way, did you hear about or did you read in our local news about the, this true story, by the way, a couple who discovered $10,000 in their bank account and they didn't know why it was there? Just a few weeks ago, it was in February, they discovered that $10,000 had been deposited into their bank account. They had no idea what it was for, but they were honest enough to call up the bank. Sure enough, it had been mistakenly deposited into their account. They'd done nothing to earn it. It wasn't theirs. They'd done nothing to deserve it. And in that case, the bank thanked them and removed the $10,000 from their account. Bummer, huh? But in our case, the righteousness of Jesus is transferred or imputed to us. That comes by faith. Trusting or relying on what Jesus did for us when he died. That's amazing, isn't it? That's how much God loves us and wants us to have a right standing with him. Here's how the Bible describes it. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says this, God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus says that if you hunger and thirst for that kind of righteousness, you'll be filled or you'll be satisfied. Once you take that initial step to trust in what Christ has done for you, and by the way, if you haven't, I would encourage you to do so. When you do that, you become a child of God. And by becoming a child of God, you become part of his family. And if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you can be filled. You can be satisfied. Okay, here's another one of the Beatitudes. It's merciful or showing mercy. Verse 7, Matthew 5, 7, we read this. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy giving isn't something that's often held up as a standard to achieve in our culture, is it? I mean, nobody really spends time honoring mercy givers that much. I mean, does People magazine tally and publish the 100 most merciful people in America each year? Do college offer scholarships to those who will show the most mercy? Do they give promotions and raises at work for being merciful? What happens when you show mercy? God shows you mercy. People are most miserable in life when focused on themselves and their needs. Show me a person who shows mercy, and I'll show you someone who can find fulfillment and contentment. You know, there was a sign on a convent in California that read, absolutely no trespassing, violators will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Signed, the Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> now something seems a little wrong with that picture, doesn't it? So what does mercy look like in our lives when it is lived out? I'm going to give you four descriptions or four statements that hopefully can help us understand what mercy looks like when it's lived out. I'll move quickly through these. They're in your notes as well. Here's the first one. When I am merciful, I am generous with those who are in need. When I'm merciful, I'm sensitive to those who are hurting. When I am merciful, I am patient with those who have messed up. And when I am merciful, I am kind to those who offend me. Now that last one, 
kind to those who may offend me may be the most challenging. But God's promise is that when you show mercy, you might be surprised what you will receive in return. The next characteristic, the next beatitude, we're going to call pure in heart. It's Matthew 5, 8. Here's the way it reads. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Nowhere was the difference between Jesus' kingdom and the way he described it versus the system of the Jewish religious leaders more obvious than in this one. The Pharisees would say things like, you know, keep these rules, jump through these hoops, look and pretend that you're good, and we'll keep the score. Jesus said, let's take a look at what's going on on the inside, in your heart. That's the test of spiritual genuineness. In other words, it's about internals, not externals. And you'll see this play out in the rest of Matthew 5 as we look at it and read it in the weeks to come. For example, the law said, don't murder, but we'll read that Jesus would say, if I say to you, if you hate someone, it's the same as murdering them. Wow, that's radical. That's different, isn't it? That's a new standard. That's going beyond externals and looking at what's happening inside. Or how about this one? Jesus said one time, the law says that you don't commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust, it's the same as committing adultery in your heart. Wow, there's a different standard, isn't it? Or he said, the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for them. This beatitude requires some personal introspection, some individual soul searching. What's going on in my heart? Are there anger issues? If so, what's driving those anger issues? Does lust consume me? Why is that? Do I have bitterness towards someone because of something that's happened, maybe something in the past? What do I need to do to deal with that? Maybe the hurt. Even things like, why did I show up at church today? Because it's the thing to do, because I wanted my kids to be here, because I'm trying to impress someone, maybe even God? Or impurity of heart. Do I come because I want to connect with God in some meaningful way? Why do I serve? Why do I volunteer? Is it ultimately for an audience of one? Why do I give generously? Do I feel obligated to do so? Or do I do so with joy because of my deep love for Jesus? Purity of heart. It's radical. It's upside down living. But it's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And what's the promise if you have a pure heart? You'll see God. In other words, you will see God for who He really is. Holy and all-powerful and loving. Okay, the next beatitude we're going to call peacemakers. It's worded in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are those who work for peace because they'll be called the children of God. In other words, never are we more like God than when we make peace. You know, God did that for us, right? When our relationship was broken with him due to sin. Here's the way Romans 5.1 puts it. Therefore, since we have been made right with, in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. God calls us to be peacemakers if we're followers of Jesus. 
Peacemaking does not mean avoiding or appeasing. If you're in conflict with someone, it means what you may need to do is schedule a peacemaking meeting. And you listen, you try to understand their point of view, you attack the problem, not the person, you do all you can to show love and compromise, then you focus on reconciliation. And understand that reconciliation isn't even necessarily the same as resolution. We may not agree with everyone about everything, but we can still have peace. And we can't control how others respond to us, but we can control our attitude and our responses. Now, are you starting to see a pattern in what Jesus is teaching? His first sermon, he's talking about what's really important, what really matters. And it's much more about what's happening on the inside and how we treat others. Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's not about impressing others, impressing God. Jesus is saying, look deep into your heart. Now, for some of you, that may mean you need to talk to someone, maybe even to a counselor, so you can begin to peel back those layers to see what's going on deep in your heart that's motivating you to act out or to speak out. Sometimes we're just blind to them. But it's the way to be blessed. It's the way to find true happiness. Now the last characteristic, the eighth beatitude, we'll call persecution. And here's why. So what happens if someone doesn't respond to you the way they should in your attempts to live out the life that Jesus wants you to live out? What happens if someone rejects this new way of thinking, this new attitude? Jesus even addresses that. He says that God will see it and he'll reward you for your attitude and heart despite their response to you. Here's Matthew 5, verse 11. God blesses you when people mock you or persecute you or lie about you or say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted the same way. Now this doesn't mean you antagonize or develop a persecution complex, but it does mean that we respond the right way even if someone else does not reciprocate. God knows all about those situations and he'll reward us. Now the teaching of Jesus was so radical in his day and it's just as radical today, isn't it? But it leads to true blessing, true joy, true happiness. Now, having heard these characteristics that Jesus has given us today, I'd like you to maybe take a moment and reflect on one that you've heard. Maybe look over your notes. And I'd really encourage you to pick one and begin living it out today. Is it humility? Is it hungering for being right with God? Is it showing mercy, doing some soul searching so that you have a pure heart? Initiating a meeting with someone and becoming a peacemaker. As we've talked about these characteristics and given some examples and descriptions this morning, has there been a person that's come to mind for you? A situation that's come to mind? A reaction that you've had that looking back now, you know it was not in line with how a follower of Jesus would react based on his teachings? This may require you humbling yourself, but take that first step. 
Make it right. 